The weakness of God is our strength. His weakness is our strength. His littleness becomes our greatness. That the great God who created the heavens and the earth and all the wonders of nature that we see uh, and the oceans and the land and the mountains, all the beauty of the earth, this great God, the, the stars, like you could see it with the Jim Weber, I think it's a Jim Weber telescope. I think that's what it's called. The new, it's a new telescope that's even better than Hubble. And that has discovered galaxies upon galaxies upon, it's just, it's just mind boggling. That there's not just stars, there's, there's whole other galaxies out there in the universe. That is so great, so wonderful. And yet the God who's greater than all of this at a certain time in our history because, because he saw that we were in sin, because he saw that we were in prison, we were entrapped in our passions, you know, in the, in the world, in the flesh, the devil was getting a hold of us, of the world. And so God at a certain time chose to descend from heaven, the second person of the Holy Trinity, but the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, decided to descend from heaven and to come to us through the Virgin Mary. And it was by the Virgin Mary's consent, by her cooperation with God's grace, that we were given redemption and salvation, that Jesus came through the cooperation of Mary. That's why we always ask for, for Mary's intercession to help us to cooperate with the word. And so Mary receives the word of God. And then she said, there, there's actually a play on words. She receives the word. The word comes to her. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. That's the actual Greek. She says, let it be done to me according to your word. And then St. John says in the beginning of his gospel, and the word became flesh. There's a play on words. There's a play on words in Greek. And so Christ is the word of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity. And yet, wonder of wonders, he comes to earth. He becomes like us in every way but sin. That he's got flesh like we do. He's got eyes. He's got ears. God knows to smell, he's got a mouth to taste, he's got a voice, and he's got his little feet, he's got, he's got hair, he's got all the human characteristics. And yet, even though he has human nature, he also has divine nature. That's why it's a wonder of wonders. That's why we call it the incarnation or another fancy word is hypostatic union. I call it a fancy word because it's a theological word. And if I were to explain it to you, you would be confused, I would be confused, and we would both leave confused after this homily. But it's divine and human. Within Jesus, divine nature, human nature, and one divine person. That's what the church teaches through its councils. And how is it? It's, it's an amazing mystery. It's truly amazing. And yet Jesus remained hidden 
within Mary's womb for nine months. And then Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, as you know the story. And right from the beginning, Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected in the womb. Notice that? He was rejected before he was even born. He was rejected in the womb because they could not find room for them in the end. Can you imagine that? A woman who's pregnant for nine months, and you say, no, there's no vacancy. It's all closed. Can you imagine that? Hardness of people's hearts. Seeing a woman, any woman, that's nine months pregnant. And not helping her. Not knowing that she's about to give birth. But it was in God's plan. That Jesus wouldn't be born in a hotel. Can you imagine if we had, you know, for Christmas instead of a manger, we set up a hotel? Well, you know, all the hotels would be vying for, you know, Christmas, for mangers or hotels, you know, little hotels that we would build. But isn't it great that Jesus wasn't born in a hotel? Sorry, all you hotel owners that are out there. I'm not against hotels. But isn't it great that he wasn't born in a hotel? That in God, the Father's providence, that they would go out to the fields and the shepherds of Bethlehem and that Jesus would be born in, you know, we call it a cave, a stable, a place where animals came and ate. That he would be born almost homeless to identify with the homeless and the hungry and the poor of the world. That he would be placed on hay. That he would be placed in a manger where animals eat, and that no one would have recognized him except for Joseph and Mary, and if the angels had not told the shepherds about the great mystery. And because the shepherds were poor, and they were humble, matter of fact, the shepherds of Bethlehem, they were the ones who actually provided the lambs for the sacrifice in the temple. Do you know that? So they were taking care of probably thousands of sheep in the area. And they were the ones to provide the sacrifices for the temple. And they say in history that the shepherds were so busy that they didn't have time to go to the temple because they were taking care of the sheep. Because if they left, who would take care of the sheep? Who would take care of the lambs? And so the Lamb of God from heaven decided to visit these shepherds that were providing the sacrifice. Isn't God good? That because of their hard work in providing the lambs, that the lamb comes to them. And through the angels, the angels announce the good news to them, and then they, they come and they see the child. But they don't see the child with the eyes of just their, their human eyes. There's something spiritual that they see in the child. There's something that's there that moves their hearts because immediately when they see the child, then they, go, they rejoice and they go out and they tell the other shepherds. They tell the other people and they bring them in. And I always wonder with this mystery, I was meditating on this the other night. Were there any children of Bethlehem that were two years and younger that went and visited Jesus. And Jesus knew that they would soon be martyrs for him. 
Imagine that mystery. Imagine Joseph and Mary seeing those little children and knowing that they would be martyred later for the sake of Jesus. There's always a little bit of sorrow mixed in with the joy also of Christmas. That's why we reduce celebrate the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And then the shepherds rejoice at the, at the great mystery that they see. And I won't go into this because this is next week epiphany, but the star and then the magi coming, that's another homily. That's a homily for next week of whoever's going to be here to give it. But then, after 40 days, that Mary, go, Mary follows the law. She goes through her purification period. And then they take the child into the temple. And Mary has to go through what's called a mikvah, which is a, a kind of a water cleansing. Now, Mary is all pure, but she still goes through the law. She still follows the law, and Joseph goes there. And they provide two pigeons. They were pro- supposed to provide a lamb, but if they were poor, then they provided two pigeons in the temple. So they were so poor that they were carrying the pigeons, the doves, as a sacrifice. But Mary was carrying the lamb, the lamb of God. And they come into the temple, and Simeon takes the child in his arms, and he prophesies about the child being the glory of Israel, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And he's so happy because who knows how old he is. He can finally die. <laughs> because he, he was old. He couldn't die until he saw the Messiah. They were waiting thousands of years for the Messiah. It's like waiting for the second coming. Can you imagine God saying to you, you will not die until you see the second coming of Christ? Be like, we've been waiting over 2,000 years for that. When am I going to die? There was Simeon. He was, he was happy. But then he prophesied the sword piercing Mary's heart. Jesus would be a sign of contradiction. But then there's another character there. And we see her in the gospel as Anna, Hanach. Anna, which means grace in Hebrew. And she's the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She's advanced in years. She's a widow. And she only lived seven years with her husband. And then she was a widow until she was 84. And she was always in the temple. And what was she doing in the temple night and day? She was fasting and she was praying. She was fasting and she was praying. I hate to talk about fasting during the Christmas octave. Because <laughs> it's hard to fast during the Christmas octave. I mean, we always have the multiplication of desserts happening when we, you know, take care of one dessert, more come. Fasting is very difficult. It's not easy. But why was she fasting? She was fasting to detach herself from the world, to detach herself from the things of this world. And because she was fasting, her spiritual eyes were open. Because she was praying, her spiritual eyes were open. And she was a prophetess. And so she could see when Jesus came into the temple, she could see who he was. That sometimes only when we detach ourselves from the world 
and we empty ourselves, that's when our spiritual eyes are opened. Not our human eyes. Human eyes saw Jesus, but her spiritual eyes saw Jesus. And then she proclaims, she gives thanksgiving to God. Notice the gratitude. And she speaks about the child to all who are awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. She probably said, the Messiah is born. I saw him. He's here, and they're probably like, where, where, where? But she was probably prudent at the same time. And so she, she becomes kind of an apostle for the Lord, proclaiming the infancy of Jesus, that we can become apostles of the infancy of Jesus, proclaiming the little Jesus as the Messiah. And then it says they fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law. Joseph and Mary were obedient. And then they went to Galilee. Luke does not not talk about their exile into Egypt. As we know, they went into Egypt. They were exiled in Egypt. That they were migrants leaving their homeland, going to a foreign land. And then they go to Galilee and, and they go to Nazareth. And all it says about the, the infancy of Jesus or the child Jesus, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. does not talk about the human characteristics of Jesus. I, I always wonder this. I always like to see a film in heaven, like uh, hopefully if I get there, of Jesus, what did you eat every night? When Jesus was dreaming, what did he dream about? You ever think of that? He's God. What did he dream about? You know, when he was asleep because he slept? Or he slept in Mother Mary's arms? What was he dreaming about? What were his dreams like? Did he have any nightmares? You know, how did he play when he was younger? Who did he play with? What were the toys that he played with? Think about Joseph taking him into the carpentry shop and showing him how to work with the wood. What was the first item that Jesus built with wood? I think it was a small cross. I think the first thing that he built was a small cross because that's what he wanted. He wanted to give himself for us. What other things did he make? What was his conversation like with Joseph and Mary? What did they talk about at the table? What was their subjects? What did they do at night? What was their recreation like? What was his life like? You think it just in the human way. What was his life like? Yes, he grew in wisdom and grace. But what was his life like? Was he ever a shepherd at a time? Because he talks about that. Did he ever take care of maybe someone else's animals? And did he go up to the mountains and pray? Did he go on, you know, the Lake of Galilee? Did he see the sunrise and the sunset? What was his life like? Was it quiet? Was it simple? Think about that. Sometimes we think that we have to live extraordinary lives and not just quiet and simple lives with God, 
We know that he went to the synagogue every week. We know that he went to the temple for all the feasts, that they were obedient. It's a great mystery to think about the life of Jesus from his infancy all the way up to his public ministry at 30 years old. The only thing we know is that at 12 years old that, that he was separated from his parents, which caused them great anguish and sorrow. His bar mitzvah, we could say, in the temple. That's the only thing that we know is just his adolescence. But Jesus went through each of the stages of human life to sanctify each of the stages. He went through infancy to sanctify infancy. He went through his childhood years to sanctify childhood, all those who are children. He went through his adolescent years to sanctify adolescence, those who are struggling, because those are years of struggle. He went through his teenage years to sanctify those who are teenagers. He went through his young adult years to sanctify those who are young adults, and he went through his adult years to sanctify those who are adults. And you might be saying, well, what, what about his elderly years? Well, he died at 33. But you could say elderly years, he had the wisdom beyond any elders. And he suffered more than any elders or old people do. So he, he, he kind of went through that, maybe without going through that human stage in his life, but going through it in his passion. So he knew all the different stages of human life. And he went through all those different human stages to sanctify those human stages, to show us that he was one of us in every way but sin. They took on our human flesh, everything human that you could think of, someone doing something, laughter even, smiling. Those are human characteristics. Jesus went through hunger and thirst. He ate. He slept. He went through everything that we do as a human but sin, but sanctified it by his divinity. And so he sanctified human nature by his divine nature in order to give us all a participation in his divine nature. That's why it's wonder of wonders. It's a wondrous mystery. And we have to take time to contemplate it, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to contemplate these mysteries and apply them in our lives. And that's why praying the rosary is very powerful, praying the joyful mysteries. Because it helps us to contemplate the mysteries, to see Jesus as the Blessed Mother saw him during his life. So rejoice during this time of the Christmas octave in which the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, has become human, human nature, one of us, yet divine in God at the same time in order to sanctify us and bring us close to his heart in heaven.
Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.